Content warning. This episode discusses themes of suicide, cancer, mental illness, and religious trauma. Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Uh, so welcome everyone to the Deep Drinks Podcast. This is a podcast where we drink the drink of the guest choice uh, and we have deep conversations. So today with me, I have Jessica, also known as Heathen Queen, who has, um, Jessica has two degrees, uh, one in economics and the second in political science, but that's not why she's here today, even though she does use those two things to um, embarrass bigots online, um, as she says. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jessica is an ex-Christian uh, of 20 years who has grown up, um, who's grown up in wild popularity on TikTok and YouTube. Um, and she uses her TikTok and YouTube to help um, people who are deconstructing their faith. Um, I was first entertained um, by uh, the heathen queen from her hot takes on uh, Twitter and her unapologetic attitude. Uh, her bio says, you're probably here from TikTok. I'm smart, petty, and not sorry. And she, and in the pre, in the pre, uh, when we were talking before, she said that she's starting to get a reputation of the lead pipe of accountability. Uh, so I love that so much. Uh, however, what you might not know about the heathen queen is she's also uh, a lovely person. It, well, it appears she volunteers in prisons or has volunteers in prisons, rehabilitates animals, little doggos, and I'm sure there's might be other animals as well, feeds the homeless and supports progressive charities. Um, so welcome the heathen queen. Hello, thank Yay. you for that introduction. That was, um, I, you know, tearing up if I had tears. No, just kidding. <laughs> if I, yeah, if I had a soul, it would be warmed right now. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, yeah. If there was a heart there. Uh, no, yeah, I think yeah. people often, if they only encounter me in certain spaces, for instance, Twitter, uh, yeah. they probably think I'm awful. But in reality, um, I just don't tolerate bullshit, but in my personal life, like most people would describe me as a pretty kind person who <laughs> like tries to help people. I know it's hard to believe, yeah. but <laughs> no, it's weird. It's weird. It's kind of like as a heathen, you're doing kind of like what Jesus said to do, like helping people and, and you know, wanting it's poor crazy. people to have money and, you know, Imagine that. helping in prisons and stuff. No. Goddamn uh, liberals. Yeah. <laughs> Those damn liberals. Uh, and we're drinking uh, a delicious, my wife is so happy you chose this one, uh, the botanist Isla Dry Gin. She's, yes. She was recently on a, on a business trip and she was drinking this all week apparently because it's one of her favorite gins. So, Cheers yeah, to your wife. I feel like we'll get along well. <laughs> yeah, she's she's uh, she's she loves her gin. So I'm going to pour myself a glass. You've got yourself a glass, and we have some with ginger ale and some tonic. We're keeping it casual today, um, and yeah, that's this is what we're doing. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, so uh, I did want to first mention, uh, talk about your story, like what what it was like. Uh, to, for you to explain a little bit about like your story in Christianity to like how you kind of came to question your faith and then yeah it's a bit of a bit of a it's it's all over your TikTok but maybe you could, we could have like a concise like version here yeah, yeah. it's a quite a ride as uh, most things are with me um, <laughs> so growing up probably until I was about six or seven really wasn't involved in the church. Um, yeah, 
not at all. And then at some point, to be honest, the like exact um, details are a little bit sketch because I was six or seven. Uh, but my mom and dad got saved. They went to <laughs> they went to a play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Now, oh, if nice. you it's a nightmare actually uh it is nightmare fuel and they got the like vhs because i'm old and they would watch Mm. it all the time like this as an adult i'm like what um because the entire play was just like the end of people's lives right so it'd be like a family driving in a car a car crash death and then they like go before the like, throne of judgment and then it's like if they're christians he god welcomes them in and if they're not christians then the like devil comes like rearing out and like drags them kicking screaming to like hell <laughs> that's the whole play just like over and over and over again right um really uplifting stuff mm. i definitely never talk about it in therapy um, yeah. so, it's that nice. It was that nice. Uh, the '90s vibe of Christianity, where it was very hellfire and brimstone, right? Exactly. Like Left Behind yeah. was hot. Yeah, you yeah, know, it was like yeah. Not biblical at all. Um, yeah. It effectively was like the gospel of Tim Leahy. Um. So <laughs> that's that was there. They got saved at an altar call there, and pretty much from that day on, my life changed started going to church all the time. We had Bible study in our house and the brand of Christianity that I grew up in was extremely charismatic. So speaking in tongues, doing like anointing with oil. Um, that's, exactly. the so that's the awesome. best. That's the best. That's the best type of Christianity. Dude, that is literally witchcraft. But anyway, um, <laughs> hey, that was the one I was part of. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, yeah. as an adult, I'm like, I kind of wish I was Catholic actually, to be honest, because they have like way cooler, like rituals, you know, rituals and stuff. Like it's like, you know, cool with smoke and stuff and like incense and candles and like, big altars. I know. It's cool. Anyway, I different. like, and like, I know they're not actually incantations, but like repeated yeah, prayers. Yeah. That feels like incantations to me. So yeah. As time went on, we got more involved. So, you know, we started, like I said, having the Bible study in our house. And then I ended up in a very fundamentalist Christian school. Um, and then I was in youth group and then just part of everything, right? We would, I felt like I was always there, especially because my school was at the church. So I literally lived there. Um, the problem was that because I was a part of this very charismatic group, Everybody was feeling things and having these experiences, and I simply was not, uh, for whatever reason. I just, I never spoke in tongues. I didn't feel this, like, emotional connection with God. Um, and it was really hard for me because it. I was taught that if you if you actually have a relationship with God, then you're going to have these manifestations of the Spirit. And... I just didn't. <laughs> um, and also I've always sort of had the brain that I have now. And so I had lots of questions and to a degree they would be answered, but only to a degree. That's That was the problem. At a certain point it became like, you just have to have faith. And I just couldn't get everything to quite match up. 
But the thing about at least the brand of Christianity that I was a part of is that they very much gaslight you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So if you don't have these experiences, it's either because God's testing you or you don't have enough faith or your emotions actually don't matter and you just need to trust and believe. So it's always you are the problem. It's never obviously God can't possibly be the problem. So like you are the problem. And so you're constantly trying to adjust the things that you do so that you'll have this experience. And then you're constantly feeling like you're failing. At least I was. The other thing was that like, I grew up in a pretty traumatic household for lack of a better term. Um, My mom was a alcoholic for my entire life. Um, and my stepdad, so sorry, um, my stepdad is also the dad that I pretty much grew up with, uh, from the time I was five. So uh, from here on out, I'll probably just say my dad. Um, he very much had anger issues and was fairly verbally abusive to me as a child. And so like, there was also physical abuse, like there was a lot going on. And so it was very hard for me to then not be traumatized. Right. (laughs) Um, And so I started having certain symptoms of OCD or depression or any of these things because I had a pretty rough life at a young age. And I was told that these things were me being under attack from the devil, right? Because everything's an attack. Mm. And so it got quite challenging because what now as an adult, I realized was this like OCD compulsion to confess every wrong thing I had ever done um, because Christianity. Right. But then also I felt this compulsion to then tell my parents every bad thing I had ever done because you have that association between God and your parents. And I had OCD like that was the thing. I was eventually diagnosed. It just took so many years before someone said, like, you have OCD. Mm. <laughs> um, I, and so, just, just, just to stop you there, that please, blew yeah. my mind because, like, that's essentially what I – like, I discovered in a psychologist's um, office that what I thought was the voice of God was just an OCD tick. That, like, my whole life I had, like – what I thought was God telling me to do something was actually like um, a OCD like uh, sensation that I was having. And I had that same issue with confessing where uh, even in like sometimes when my OCD got so bad, I would confess all sorts of ridiculous behavior. Like, like I would have to tell my wife, I, I, I I have to tell you, I I found this person attractive. And she's like, why are you telling me? Like, it's okay. (laughs) Like, what's wrong with you? Like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Like, that's fine. Just like, shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just stuff like that. And I was like, and I'm pacing around, like having a panic attack about telling my wife that I found someone attractive or something, or doing this heaps of stuff. And it's horrible. Like, it's 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 horrible. It's crushing. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I I can totally relate. Wow, I didn't know that. That you, yeah. Anyway, keep going. That's amazing. I'm sorry you experienced that as well. Like I'm always oh, like, geez. it's it's a weird thing where I'm like, oh my God, like I'm so glad somebody else can relate and I'm not crazy. But then like, also I'm like, I'm so sorry that you can relate <laughs> because yeah. that's awful. Yeah. Um. So 
I did all the things, right? Went on mission trips when I was younger because I was a white savior. Um, And I was going to go paint a church in Mexico or something. Like, I don't really understand fully what the hell I was doing, but I thought I was doing God's work. Um, So, so eventually, you know, I I grew up um, and when I was 21, when I was 21, I hadn't really been going to church regularly, but I still held these beliefs about heaven and hell and God and whatever. And I just sort of felt like I still believe these things. I'm just sort of not doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, and when I was 21, um, my partner at the time uh, committed suicide. And oh. It was, as you can imagine, an incredibly dark time in my life. Mm. I mean, I think it's impossible that it wouldn't be. Um, And it was compounded by a number of other things, like the fact that his friends blamed me and then his family wouldn't talk to me. And, you know, looking back, I understand when people are in deep grief, they do things that just they they don't make sense. People need a scapegoat. I get it. But at the time I was 21 and I had had a pretty traumatizing life and I hadn't had any therapy. Um, And then this happened and my parents were both still very Christian. And so for them, their sort of solution was that I needed to really lean into God, you know, like Mm. seek God with all your heart. Um, And so I had always been told that when you're at your lowest, your darkest, your most broken, that like, that's where God would meet you. Again, looking back, that is incredibly abusive, right? To think that like God's going to meet you when you're at your absolute most broken, because that's when you're able to receive him. Mm -hmm. Um, It is just not good. (laughs) Um, And so after this happened, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? Um, I am going to go to YWAM youth with a mission because (laughs) if I leave my life here and go over there and do God stuff, um, then that's like a sacrifice right in my like darkest time. So certainly God will meet with me. That was like my desperate desire was to have this Mm. connection with God. And so I didn't, Oh, I didn't have the desire, but I went to YWAM. <laughs> yeah. So did you, did you at this point, like you hadn't had an experience with God, but did you feel like feelings of love or peace or anything? Or was it just, it was, it was just fear. It was just, oh, it was fear. Okay. Fear based. Yeah. So, so to be fair, um, when I was a Christian, I had one experience that I can think of that I, to this day, I can't really explain, but Mm. I'm not too worried about it. So if you are familiar with being like slain in the spirit, Mm -hmm. um, one time I was prayed over and I think I just passed out if I'm being honest. (laughs) Um, And I woke, I think I maybe just had a panic attack. Um, I woke up sort of passed out on the, I don't know, by the altar of the church and everybody around me was having the same thing happen. To be honest, I still don't know what that was, but I also know Mm. enough about sort of general psychology that I don't think it was like 
God. <laughs> mm. Um. I remember touching, like, coming off stage one time after I did a big, big, like, um, preach about the power of God and I and there was an altar call and I ran up to this youth, this young guy, I was a youth pastor, and I grabbed him by the face like this, like just yeah. grabbed him and he just went, <laughs> just fell over. He, like, wild. flew back. And I'm just like, I've got the power. No, I wasn't like that. <laughs> um, I, went, I would continue on praying for people and stuff, but yeah, it's it, it's things like that. That's, that's hard. They're hard to kind of explain. Um, Absolutely. And I think sometimes, like you said, well, you, you mentioned it, but I always say sometimes I can't explain is the best answer. <laughs> it's the most right, honest. Exactly. Answer. Yeah. It's like mm. I don't know what happened, but also just because I don't know doesn't mean it was God. <laughs> mm. because there are uh, other religions that have some pretty crazy stuff happen and absolutely you can't you can't think because if, if we say therefore truth whatever why can't they do the same for their god and that's the um Sorry. are you covering up the, the light the i'm light trying leak? to block the light out and it's just not working sorry <laughs> no, that was, it looks cool like, it looks like you've got like a cool little I mean, halo effect yeah. around, around you. yeah i know you all uh, thought i was the devil but as it turns out <laughs> you're the heathen queen uh, it looks like crowns of um your your uh yeah uh, uh, you can all light a candle in my honor. No, um, so, uh, yeah, so really what, what was driving me ultimately was fear. Now, if you are a product of, you know, 90s, early 2000s evangelicalism, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, because largely it's predicated on this idea that Jesus is coming back pronto. Like he's going to be here tomorrow. My parents legitimately told me when I was growing up that, like, Jesus would be coming back in my lifetime. Hmm. And, like, not only that, it was going to be this, like, there was going to be a tribulation and I was probably going to be, like, tortured and persecuted and probably martyred for Christ. Um, and I was like, rather not. Uh, but then, it, of course, it was like, well, if you don't do that, you're going to hell like okay sounds like a good yeah. option have a little bit of torture now and get exactly. it over with or get tortured for eternity i know yeah. like can it, someone just shoot me and just like get it off? <laughs> like can we just make this quick um and then i was like well if god is like really forgiving then like would he not forgive me if i like was scared i don't know recanted <laughs> it's, it's such it's such it's such 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 abusive just theology indoctrination yeah. it's awful um and so that just sorry sorry to keep interjecting no, no, no. but no, please. just also you you also grew you also mentioned you grew up in a house with a little like mental health issues around it where you were told there were demonic cameras oh, being God, put in I the forgot. house and yes. stuff and so yeah. like i could i can imagine maybe you could quickly tell that because i can imagine that you're growing up in this situation where you're thinking that demonic cameras are being installed because you're told this and they're watching you get changed. And so you're changing in the corner as a little six year old girl. Like that's, that's, uh, it was a trip. Yeah. It was a trip. My like, so uh, yeah, well, we can talk about some of the other stuff, even when I got older and like not demonic stuff, but just the way that, well, so let me start with this. Yes. So this story I was six years old and I remember my mom telling me at some point, like, just, you need to be aware that someone's like installed cameras in our house without our knowledge. And I'm like, well, then how do we, 
like no but okay uh like she she had this idea that there's cameras in the house she's telling me and they're like they can see you changing and i'm sick so i'm like who is they but whatever so Mm -hmm. i'm scared so she's like you need to make sure you like change sort of hiding and like okay so so i did and then i remember there was this whole thing where like at one point my dad or my uncle came over and with my dad they were like looking around for these cameras and so in my mind i thought oh my mom was right there must be cameras somewhere if my dad's looking for them and what i came to sort of realize later was that my mom has largely and for a long time struggled with mental illness of some sort and that's compounded by alcoholism i mean those two things are often comorbid Mm. and i mean later on in life she would also come to start having seizures um and when you i don't know how familiar people are but if you are an alcoholic who drinks like binge drinks you Mm -hmm. hit a state where you you really you like almost hallucinate like you don't it's not reality anymore. Like something else is happening. So there's lots of times when my mom would be telling me something um, and I wasn't old enough yet to understand what was happening. And so I would think it was true. Um, I mean, I remember one time I was on like a little weekend trip with one of my friends and she called and told me that like, that we had a new car that like the angels had given us and she could see the angels and like this whole thing. And I'm on the phone, like, uh, I'm going to go ride this scooter. So like, <laughs> I'll call you later. Like, I like, cool. And my dad got on the phone. I'm like, are there angels outside with a new car? Um, it's just like, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so there's also all of this going on. Right. And so when you're a kid who's looking to your parents to sort of describe reality, and then you get your mom who's telling you that in her reality, she can see angels and all of these things. You, It's it's very disjointed, maybe, for lack mm. of a better term. Like, it's very hard to then sort of define your own reality because you're like, well, if she sees it and I don't see it, is there mm. something wrong with me? Like, yeah. or is it really there and I just don't see it because I'm not gifted in this way right because there was also this idea that there's all these spiritual gifts and some people can see things in the other realm and it's just it's just very um i'm not even sure what the right word is but it ultimately ends up being very confusing i guess to be simplistic Um, to grow up in that in that environment it's no wonder that you you know you you're in situations where you're like, you know, later on you're like, I I don't know. I'm not feeling what everyone else is feeling. Um, And then you're questioning. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very odd. And then I grew up also to be a very analytical person. And so Mm. I overthink everything. I intellectualize everything sometimes to a fault. And when I didn't know that about myself, it just felt like I was a problem because I was supposed to have faith and I was supposed to believe. And instead I was just questioning, 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 um, which I know the church says like, yeah, we are totally okay with questions, but in reality, they're only okay with some questions. Um, and there's a limit to, to the answers they can give you. 
And they also give you material that is incredibly biased, right? So, I mean, I've talked about it on several platforms. I was given the case for Christ as this sort of like irrefutable proof that Jesus had existed and rose from the dead. That book is garbage. Like it's absolute garbage from start to finish. It's awful, but that's what they give you. And because you're already told what you're supposed to think when you read it, you're like, Oh my God, this confirms everything. Mm. (laughs) Like, Mm. so yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's it's like that uh that i think you did a tiktok where someone was like oh the bible's proof because like have you not read all these scriptures and then you like pulled out a extension cord and plugged it into itself <laughs> <laughs> like, why isn't this turning on like, yeah 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 it's it's interesting for sure mm. um so you went you, you went to yom to try and like have this like you're like okay I'm going to get, I'm going to step out in faith. I want to meet God, you know. And I you forgot about this, that term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Step out in faith. Step yeah. Out in faith. And and how was how was why why wham? Awful. Um, <laughs> I it was awful. God. Um, I went so the way why wham works, at least the one I went to, is you go for I think it's like two months to sort of like a base and you do this like mini Bible school thing. And so the place I went was Switzerland, which I thought would be like pretty cool. Um, And it was this little town called Wheeler, but this town, like town is a generous word. (laughs) There was like the base, which was sort of like this little, I don't even know what to call it. Not a compound because it's just like one building, but it has a bunch of rooms, obviously, and like a kitchen and all this stuff. Um, and then there's like one road. <laughs> and at the end of this road, there's a little chapel and a post office. Oh. Um, exactly. And then there's yeah. like some farms around. So we had literally fresh milk because you would just go get it from the little farm um it was something um now we could walk to the train station and you could take the train into like bigger towns which we did from time to time but where we lived was effectively the middle of nowhere um now for those of you that don't know, I live in the Bay Area in California. I always have. Um, it is incredibly busy, incredibly popular. It's a tech hub. Like, I could go outside my door and throw a rock and hit like 10 different restaurants. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where it's just like, I'm just, it, it, it sounds very privileged and it probably is. It's just, I'm so used to having access to so many things. And when I got there, even if there hadn't been access to things, that's one thing to sort of reckon with. Um, Everybody that was a part of my like YWAM school, except for maybe one person (laughs) was all like, they were all from like the Midwest Um, No shade to the Midwest, but they were all from the Midwest. They had all been like homeschooled for most of their lives. 
Um, they had all grown up in the church and they were like very conservative. I showed up with tattoos and like multicolored hair and like that is all to say that I just didn't quite fit in. The heathen princess. Um, yeah, exactly. She wasn't quite <laughs> fully formed yet. She didn't have yeah. the sort of like audacity. Yeah. Um, but I got there and I was just like, and considering my boyfriend had just killed himself, like I'd had a lot more life, not just because of that, but also because of that, I had had a lot more life experience than these people. And so we have these leaders in our like small groups and like the worst thing that's ever happened to them is like their grandma died, you know, mm. something like that. And I, I get it. That's, that sucks. There's no yeah, like no, judgment it's... there, but when you come to them and you're trying to like, um, like be vulnerable and like emotionally grow when you're like, well, actually like my boyfriend just shot himself. My mom's an alcoholic. Like my parents have been abusive. I uh, like just like on and on with all of this stuff. Like they have no capacity for that. They don't know how to deal with that. And they, of course they don't. Right. Like, of course mm-hmm. they don't. But it was a very whew, isolating experience because I was trying to deal with very complex grief in a situation where nobody was capable of offering adequate support or like healing methods or anything. And I don't blame them for that. Mm. They There's no way they could have had that. But it was just a very weird experience to be there. And to feel like I was with all of these people that just had never really, it, it, it was hard to relate. I'll put it that way. And while mm. I was there, my grandmother died. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, so it was like quite the, just quite the whirlwind. Um, mm. Now it's like a fun little aside. Um, when I did my missions trip with YWAM, I went to Ireland and I love Ireland. I would go back right now. Like I would get off this interview and go there. No, uh, if I could, I love it so, so much there. So that was awesome. But I didn't love it because of the mission trip, to be honest. I wasn't trying to like minister to people. I just loved it because it was awesome. But I ended up coming home early because I was like, this sucks. Um, it, I just, yeah, it was just not a great experience. So anyway, sorry, I have talked way too long about that. Um, When I got home, I decided I really want to go back to school. I know this now. So ultimately, I applied to school, I got in, um, and I went back to college when I was 23. And I went to a fairly prestigious, small, all women's liberal arts college. And it, it started to become hard for me to reconcile this idea that all of these people that I were, that I was meeting, right. From different walks of life that had much different life experience, different gender identities, different sexual orientations, like all of these different things that were lovely, excellent people trying to make the world a better place. I could not reconcile this idea that all of these people were going to burn in hell forever because of how they were born. Like I just couldn't, Mm. it it just couldn't, I couldn't make it make sense in my mind. And on top of that, because, because I had 
spent so much time just not having these emotions or feelings or experiences in the church, I started to think like, okay, maybe I'm just not going to have these feelings. Like maybe that's just not in the cards for me. So I set out to (laughs) not prove the Bible, but I thought like if I can document from other sources that these sort of historical events actually happened, like throw out all of the miraculous stuff. There's no way to prove that. Um, just try to, to prove that these events actually happened. Uh, because if they happen, there should be some kind of evidence for them, right? Archaeological. I mean, yeah. that's the main one I was looking for, but uh, primary sources, secondary sources, like there should be all of these sort of supporting things. And as I started to delve into it, I was floored which sounds silly now because of how much I know. But at the time, I was absolutely floored at the fact that there isn't really a lot of evidence for this. (laughs) Like, sometimes there's not at all. Like, you have to really do some mental gymnastics to Mm. build a case for some of this stuff. Yeah, or or there's even evidence. There's, like, like evidence to the contrary. Like, it it actually pulls apart. Yeah. Yeah. And so... If I'm being honest, one of the things that blew my mind, uh, (laughs) this is so funny to me now, it blew my mind when I learned that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did not write the Gospels. Yeah. Oh, my God. My brain split in two. (laughs) Yeah. They're anonymous. Yeah. Right. When I heard that, I was like, someone call the police. No, uh, because and 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 Mark doesn't include the virgin. Mark, the earliest gospel written forty years right. after the fact, doesn't include the virgin birth, and the original ending does not include the disciples' encounter with the resurrected Jesus. It's I it's know. insane. It's yeah. bonkers. And the thing mm. is, is like I had been taught growing up that, like, of course, like these four gospels are four independent historical accounts written by eyewitnesses. So how is it possible that four independent sources could write such similar stories um, and be eyewitnesses and not be true? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Mm. So when I got to the point where it was like, these were anonymous, they borrowed from each other and they weren't even written until at least like 30 or 40 years after the fact by people that never met Jesus. Like, <laughs> I was, I feel like I was, I went through like a period of anger because I was like, mm. people just know this and they're not telling anyone. <laughs> and you never I left mean, like, that period of anger. <laughs> that's true. I'm just staying yeah. pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but it was like, mm. either y'all don't know, like people, pastors, y'all don't know. And you haven't bothered to even try to find out. Or you do know, and you're lying. Like, yeah, it's one or the other, and neither one of those sits really well with me. Yeah, I, I actually, I, <laughs> our stories are so similar. We seem to have OCD. I had an alcoholic parent as well. It, it was, um, and he hallucinated as well. Um, it Jesus. was, you know, um, so we, we actually have a lot in common. But one of the things we also had in common is 
I wrote this document called The Objective Truth of Origins when I first was trying to question my faith. Um, not question my faith. I was trying to, what I was trying to do is I was trying to look at all the evidence for evolution and all the evidence for creationism and compare notes. And my, my, what I thought I was going to end up with at the end um, was all the reasons why evolution, why people believe in evolution, but then I, but I knew why they believed, but I could prove that it was wrong. Right. Um, but, but I also realized that for me, honesty is such an important thing. And for me, I realized that for me to investigate this, honestly, I had to actually remove as much bias as possible. And when I remove, and, and, and I actually had to look at the evidence as if I didn't know the conclusion, as if I didn't know that evolution was a lie. I had to look at it, look at the evidence. I had to take off my Christian perspective, my um, everything. Like as much as bias I could, that you were trying to look I, for information that agreed with you. I, was, I had to remove it all. And I, would, and, I would, and I would mentally take it off. Like, okay, I'm going to look at this information now. I'd read some papers and then I'd put it back on at the end. And when I first started doing that, I started noticing these little cracks that I wouldn't normally have noticed. And then the more and more I dug into it, the more and more the cracks got bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually I'm standing in this giant canyon going, how did I not see this huge problem? And then the most heartbreaking thing for me is I would go to other Christians and I'm like, some of my best friends, people I went to ministry college with, and I was like, hey, I need to talk to you about this. I found this thing. And I what I discovered was, one, they didn't care whether or not something was true or not. Two, they didn't – yeah, you're right, right? They, they, they it's just actually so wild cared. to me. Like how do yeah. you not care if it's true? <laughs> yeah, they didn't care yeah. if it was true or not. And, and then secondly – if they did want to like have a conversation with her, but they were incredibly dishonest. Like they would, they would blatantly lie or they would misrepresent information. Or we had this one pastor who was trying to argue against same sex marriage uh, plebiscite that was happening in Australia. This this vote that Australia was doing to allow same sex marriage. And we were questioning him, him while I was leaving my faith at the time, questioning him about stuff. And he was quote the gay manifesto. What's the gay manifesto, you may ask? It's a satirical piece from the 80s, like as if the gay people had, and he would quote it and we would bring it up and be like, hey, this is a, is a satirical piece. This, this is isn't satire. This is like, this is satire. This isn't Look that a up. real thing. There is no there is no gay committee that decides what all gay people need to think. Oh my God. And then, and then he would read it and then later on in further arguments, still quote it. What a nightmare. He didn't give two fucks about reality and it really, really bothered me. And- I don't understand this. That, yeah, and this is at the point of the interview when the alcohol is obviously taking effect. I've started to rant. Uh, <laughs> no, please. I feel like I dominated the first part of the interview. It was just no, like, it dom- no, no. It. Well, it is your. It is about your story, but we just just have so much, uh, so much, yeah, it's so relevant to what you're experiencing, and it's just mind blowing. I just don't understand how people can, like Christians, can blatantly. Oh God! Misrepresent things, or lie, or or not be interested in the truth at least. Not be interested in yeah. like observing something mm-hmm. with as little bias as possible. Oh, and no. I can see why. And and this is the problem I have with apologetics. And first of all, I think there are some uh, some apologetic apologists who I I, I think. I, I point Christians all the time to Michael Jones. I think Michael Jones is a great guy. I <laughs> think he's, funny. I think he's he he is as honest as a Christian as, you, uh, as a as a uh, Christian apologist you can be. I really like Michael Jones. However, just as a heads f- up, we're preparing a video. 
Oh, rebutting. together or? Michael Jones. Oh, Not you and I. Jones. Me, Josh. Oh, I was like, well, another, I don't know what this. Uh, me and a couple of other scholars. Uh, so. Oh, I don't. I don't agree with his conclusions, no, but I, I think that he's as honest as you can. Like, I, lo- I love his attitude and I love how rigorous he is. And he seems to be as most, the most, as honest as you can be to be in a Christian apologist. However, the entire field, uh, you seem to disagree, but the entire field of. You don't of, have to talk of, about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. The entire field of apologetics um, uh, to me is an ad hoc thing like no one comes to their faith because they had good reasons they grew up in their faith they had a spiritual experience they're the reasons people believe not because of like because oh actually the sources of matthew mark luke and john could be dated to earlier if we did x like that's not why people believe so So my okay everybody knows this if you followed me for more than two seconds i am incredibly hard on apologists and often I just give up and make fun of them. Now, like that's, <laughs> I I know yeah. that's not for everyone. You can, you can like it or not. That's fine. The reason that I'm this way is because I have done the research and I have sat with that incredible discomfort of wanting to believe something and just having the evidence in your face telling you that you're wrong. <laughs> mm. And it's not comfortable. It sucks because you have to then shift your entire worldview because if that isn't right, then what else do you think you know that isn't right, right? And so it's a very tumultuous, painful sort of unmooring process because you have this like anchored worldview. And then as soon as you pull the thread, you're like, oh, if that's not true, and that's like, what do I actually know about the world around me? Mm. What do I actually know about what I'm doing, my purpose, who I am, what's the point of life, right? Like all of these things. So when apologists, whoever they are, start doing these like gold level mental gymnastics to try and then prove something, like you're just not being honest. And I know you're not being honest because I've done this research, like mm. I've seen the research, right? So I mean, like, I for instance, I think you had Josh on a couple of weeks ago. Mm, Dr. Now, Josh Bowen, yeah. He's written this book, The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. Um, you know, plug the second one's coming out soon. It lays out evidence that we have for certain events or that we don't have. And it doesn't do so in a way that is particularly biased right at least it doesn't strike me as that way i'm a fairly good researcher like i the so okay sorry that's a little jumbled the thing is right it's very balanced i've read the first one i just missed yes, the first one it's exactly balanced. so it's you not can... the the name actually annoys me a little bit because it could be for anyone I know. Because like it's it's a good marketing ploy to call the atheist handbook uh, yeah. to the old testament but really it makes it's it not so that atheists. people might not want to pick it up because they're like, I feel like a lot of people, sorry, Josh, love you. Uh, The the (laughs) name, like if you see atheist, a lot of Christians are like, "Ah, uh, that's biased. I don't want to do that. But in reality, Mm. like the difference, I think between, I I don't want to say me, but like unbeliever or atheist or agnostic or whatever you want to call it. And a believer that's doing research. um, I can see two points of archaeological evidence that might look like they contradict each other and just like be okay with not knowing 
right? Like, I'm like, mm. I, I don't know. Like, though they look contradictory. I'm not really sure what that means. Apologists see those two points and just toss one out because it doesn't work for them. Mm. That, to me, is incredibly dishonest because apologists have to have a specific answer. They have their answer before they approach the evidence. Yeah, right? exactly. They need it to say a certain thing. Mm. And that is dishonest. And it, so it yeah. Sorry. But but I but what I would say is there are levels and um about levels to this. There are the there are the apologists who will blatantly represent misrepresent data to make a point that they already have. Where what yeah. I like about Michael Jones from Inspiring Philosophy is he tweaks his doctrine a lot to fit the evidence. So he doesn't believe in, he believes in evolution. He believes in like, he's not a young earth creationist. And so that's what I do like about him. So. (laughs) I'm happy for you. No, (laughs) no, no, it's fine. Um, Yeah. No, no, no. Like there are certainly better apologists. I will say that. Like there are certainly better apologists. Like there are some where I'm like, don't, ever talk to me um like just because the stuff they're saying it's like how do i phrase this apologetics very much is for people that already believe and Mm. they make it pseudo intellectual enough that christians don't feel like they need to investigate any further Right. Oh yeah. I agree with you. Like the the, the entire premise is dishonest in my opinion. Totally. And I, so I have to say this, this like idea of it being pseudo intellectual enough so that Christians won't do their own sort of investigation. Somebody told me that, and I genuinely cannot remember who it is. So if you're watching this, I know you said it. (laughs) Um, I just can't remember who it was. I think it was somebody on Twitter, but I really thought that was a great way of putting it because it very much is that, right? When you do apologetics, nobody outside of the atheist or agnostic community is going to be fact-checking you. If I'm a Christian and I'm tuning into whatever apologetics channel, I'm tuning in because I want them to tell me something that confirms what I already believe. And, And they're going to tell me that most of the time because we believe the same thing. This is also why I never feel compelled or even a desire to debate with apologists because why they have no interest in learning. They have a point they're trying to prove and they're going to try to prove that point in any way they can. And oftentimes, almost always it's intellectually dishonest. Mm. And so that's why like, sorry, I know we've gotten a little off topic here, but people will ask no. me, why don't you debate? And I'm like, why would I debate with someone that I know for a fact is not interested in, in actually yeah. hearing anything I say? There is a, just on a random aside on that is there, are, there are a few, de- I haven't done debates yet, but when I do get invited to finally debate someone, which I'll, I'd love to do there, there are different categories I put them in. There are people I'd like to have discussions with because I know that we're both in good faith and we can right. arrive at conclusions um, by hashing things out. And then there are other people like, say, if I ever got the chance to devote Mr. Hovind, um, <laughs> it, would ju- it, would just, it would just be it would just be to um, expose the silliness of his, like it would just be a, a giant troll essentially because 
because I don't, I, I think he's the the most bad faith person. Oh God, um, he's the probably worst. On the, pro- probably on the internet. Um, uh, you know, um, I have um, my wife. Um, not my wife. Sorry, my mother was in a um abusive relationship. He's had some um some. Sorry, that's not funny. Sorry, I was no no at that. I was no, laughing no. at the wife. Oh, sorry. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah my my yeah my mother was in some abusive relationships and so when he had some he's had some um he's going through a trial at the moment um to for, you know because he body slammed his wife apparently is the allegation so. Him. Uh, so yeah, so like I would have no pop problem like bringing him on and just holding his feet to the fire and until he rage quit the conversation, Love and it. that would just be entertaining and funny for me. And so so uh, yeah, when it comes to um engaging with people, it, for me, yeah. it's everybody a different, has different. Yeah, everybody has wanna, a different whatever. Like, like how you want to embarrass it. big, how you want to embarrass bigots when someone starts telling me that I'm going to hell or whatever. I, I just like to embarrass them. In fact, I go, I'll link it in the doobly-doo. I do have a conversation with some Christian, Christian mods on a um, discord, which was a really fun conversation um, yeah. where she told me I was going to hell and stuff. And that was, uh, that was great. That was a spicy conversation. Anyway, continue. Um, I do want to say that I think, like everybody has different approaches and I will never tell someone that like, just because I don't care about debates that they shouldn't care about debates because like we all enjoy different things. We all learn in different ways. Like I, for one, just don't want to. So that's where I like begin and end the conversation. But I think for a lot of people, they're really useful and interesting. People like them. Um, I mean, I, I know we just talked about it, but like even Josh, right? Like he debates slavery, day in and day out. Slavery is probably the least interesting thing in the entire Bible to me. <laughs> mm. Like, I know people can disagree with me, whatever. Like, the Bible clearly endorses slavery. The only reason that people argue that it doesn't is because they're committed a priori to this doctrine of inerrancy and they need it to be morally just. But, like, if you have they, two brain cells ad- rubbing together, you can see that it endorses slavery. <laughs> Yeah, but what's what's also interesting is they're using an, a moral system outside of the Bible to conclude that that slavery is wrong, but then trying to find a way to make it not so bad. It's like it's like you're demolishing the whole point of Hello? objective morality. Yeah, yeah, and they'll be like, "Well, like slaves had Sunday off." <laughs> yeah, like okay, bitch. Sweet. Like so did the donkeys. Like I don't know what you. <laughs> Like, I don't know what, like, okay, anyway, sorry, this is yeah. a whole other topic, but. Yeah. Did you, so your deconversion experience, did, was it like an ever an aha moment or was it? Um... No. So for me, I, I did this thing, like I said, where I wanted to like try to prove the Bible. Um, and so it definitely happened slowly because you research different things, right? So I think I started off with some like very popular level kind of like Bart Ehrman books, um, which is still what I kind of recommend to anybody in the beginning stages because it's super readable, very accessible. Mm. Um, And like, that's what people need. Usually they need something that they can get through and understand, not something that's necessarily super high level and cerebral and uh, that takes you a while to get through. So after I read through some of his books, uh, I think it was like Misquoting Jesus, Jesus Interrupted, Heaven and Hell, like all of those books. That might have been later. But anyway, um, then I would go to the bibliographies and start looking at some of the more scholarly sources that were cited. Um, 
And so it, it was a slow deconstruction. One, because you start researching sort of one event at a time or one topic at a time. Um, and once you start pulling that thread, of course, you start sort of going in a number of directions. Um, but then also, even after you're like, okay, th- this isn't really dependable. The Bible isn't really dependable historically. It doesn't change the fact that you have these very sort of long-held, long-standing, indoctrinated beliefs or fears or whatever you want to call them. And so even though I was like, okay, the, the Bible isn't really historically sound, um, that doesn't change the fact that I have this deep-seated fear of hell, for instance, or anything really. I think for me, it was primarily hell because it's like, if I make a mistake, then I'm fucked for literally eternity. Um, Mm. And so those things or things like the rapture, because that that was something that was huge for me growing up. um, Those fears took longer to sort of deconstruct because they're not rational. They're not, something you can say like, okay, well, A didn't happen, therefore B. It's more along the lines of like, this was something that was drilled into me as a child. It's fear-based and it's clear indoctrination. So that just takes a lot more time and energy to kind of come out of. And it's not something that you can just like read a book and all of a sudden it's better. Right. So, Mm. so in some ways, well, no, not in some ways, it, it certainly wasn't overnight. I think my biggest aha moment were a couple parts, the gospels not being written by eyewitnesses. Um, Also, when I started studying revelation and found out the sort of historical context and the fact that like, none of this is about the future it was all well, like the far future. It was all very much about first century Rome and like reading stuff. It made perfect sense. Like I'm reading mm. about like 666. It's Gematria yeah, right. for Caesar Nero, right? Like, okay. Or mm. like the city on set or the whore of Babylon, the city on seven Hills. Like that's Rome. Everybody would have known yeah. it then. Like yeah. those things were mind blowing to me because it had been so beat into my head for at this point decades that the mark of the beast was going to be some like tattoo on my forehead or some weird shit or like on my hand. And I wouldn't be able to like buy food without it. Um, or like the antichrist was going to be, yeah, I don't know, some really the, likable politician from the East. Like <laughs> why, why do you, yeah, exactly. Or Obama. Um, I remember. Obama oh my God. My parents thought Obama was the antichrist and <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. no, no, no. He's just black. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> He's just black. Like, well, I heard that. It. I heard that. I heard that it wasn't. He wasn't fully. He wasn't. His skin wasn't so dark, so it could be applicable to everyone or something. I, I remember hearing all these these yeah. stupid takes. But it's just what, racism. The thing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing that gets me about um about uh the whole revelation things is it's it's so clear like when you read it in its context or whatever, and it's not. It's only not clear if you believe that Jesus is coming back. But the thing is. Jesus isn't coming back. Jesus didn't come back. He was supposed to come back in his disciples' lifetime. It's as yeah. clear as day. And if you can interpret the Bible 
when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, people standing here will not taste death until all these things happen, or you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds and I tell you the truth, you, you know, you will not taste death. This generation shall not pass. If you can interpret the Bible to say the exact opposite of what it says in, in plain reading, then why can we not say like, maybe Jesus didn't die on the cross. Maybe he just, you know, maybe he didn't raise from the dead. Maybe like all of a sudden you can make up any doctrine you want. Jesus isn't coming back. He didn't come back. Yeah. Well, this has been a TED talk a by Dave McDonald. <laughs> Thanks for coming to my Theodore chat. <laughs> Bye. <No. laughs> um, the thing is, is like people, God, God, um, <laughs> sorry. Jesus was never saying or predicted to come three times, right? So the initial time when he comes, he dies on the cross, the resurrection, when he comes back to life, and then all of a sudden he comes back some random time in the future. Now, it doesn't say three times anywhere, but beyond that, for the first 1800 years of church history, nobody had a concept of the rapture. It wasn't until 1860 when some Yahoo named John Nelson Darby um like reinterpreted first Thessalonians to decide that like, Oh, actually what this means is that we're going to be caught up in the clouds and he's going to take us Mm. off to heaven. Now on its face, that sounds, I mean, still bizarre, but like, okay. But then when you think about it, like this verse and also Paul's cosmology is fundamentally flawed because the way he is thinking about things and talking about things is very much like, There's three levels. There's this flat earthly plane that we're on. Below us, under our feet, is whatever version of shale, Tartarus, hell, whatever. And up above the clouds is this, like, heaven or God, whatever. We all know that's not true, right? Like, we've we've gone up above the clouds. I do it fairly regularly. Um no Jesus there, as far as I can tell. Um, And yet we still cling to this interpretation of being caught up in the clouds as something literal. So like Mm. Paul would have thought that this was literal because his Mm. idea, but now we're sort of superimposing our understanding on top of that and saying like, well, you know, Paul didn't really know. It's like not really like the clouds, right? But like we're gonna be caught up in the clouds. It's like just our spirit, and then we're gonna go to like wherever the fuck. Like we have made everything to fit whatever it is we need it to mean, while stripping away what it actually meant to the people that wrote it. Beyond us doing that to the New Testament, the New Testament authors did that to the Old Testament. If you talk but- to Jewish scholars, you'll see these like Old Testament prophecies and none of them are about jesus like come on please. Mm. <laughs> please but you you're just forgetting one thing and that is you've just got to have faith miss heathen queen jessica you've just got to have faith where's my bottle of gin no you would be surprised at how many people just like well maybe you wouldn't but i've been hearing this like real hot take recently from people on the internet that like the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. Oh, it's and so I'm like, embarrassing. Y'all are literally the most 
damp paper towels of all time. Like, I can't stand it. First of all, that is wildly anti-Semitic to just be announcing on Beyonce's internet. Um, Yeah. But, like, also, it's just so fundamentally ignorant. Like, yeah. I, I love how he, Christopher Hitchens refers to, um, he says, uh, how, how, he goes, how um, Christians passive aggressively call the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. I'm like, it is passive aggressive. It is. You, yeah. Like, yeah. God, it, that might be the thing that drives me the most insane at the moment is watching these like Theobrogians talk about how the Old Testament uh, Sorry. has. What, what do you just say? What, what's oh, a theobrogian? It's like a theologian, bro. Theobrogian. <laughs> theobrogian. I've never heard that, and that is really? amazing. Oh, yeah. No, I've it's never like, heard that. When you're on Twitter or wherever even, it's just happened to me mostly on Twitter, <laughs> where it's like all of these dudes that are like reformed, uh, which is code for like, I was a hall monitor in high school. Um, and usually they're like, some kind of Calvinist, uh, which is also like I got picked last in gym class, and so predestination, bitch. Uh, that's like <laughs> that's that's how I view these people. <laughs> um, Theobrogen, like that is such a good term. I'm so Theobro. glad I know Theobro. That's Theobro so for sure. good. Yeah. Oh. Um, but they but they like have these super hot takes. We're like, Leviticus is all about Jesus. And I'm like, take your hand off your shitty beard. Like, it's not. Relax. Um, Stop telling Jewish people what their literal holy book is about. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Um, But yeah, like, it's just, it's wild to me. The, the audacity of Christians. Because, uh, I mean, like, I remember being a Christian and, like, asking my parents, like, hey, so the Jews were God's chosen people, but they don't believe in Jesus. So, like, what's up? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> what's happening? Seems weird mm-hmm. that they would be God's chosen people and then, like, go to hell. Like, it seems weird. Mm. Um. And their response was effectively incredibly anti-Semitic and <laughs> problematic because it was like, yeah, well, they're wrong. They didn't believe in Jesus and they killed him. Uh, and, you know, God will have to like literally their hearts. They literally like say that the Jewish people committed deicide. Deicide. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, crazy. And as a Super child, insulting. I was like, okay. Um, and then as an adult, I was like, um, Excuse me. <clears throat> come again? It makes like, so much more sense now. Why there's so much? I've been wondering recently. I've been running into so many anti-Semites, and I'm like, I'm wondering where it's all come from. And now, now it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Yes, wow. It's... So just to round out your deconversions experience, that was yes. it. Was essentially because you started noticing problems with the Bible, and they couldn't be reconciled. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in an honest way. Um, yes. You can reconcile anything if you try hard enough, I guess. But 
Uh, we want to talk a little bit about um, your experience in church. Uh, so, like, I, I heard a couple of things over your TikTok, uh, like, for example, that the Loch Ness Monster was proof that evolution was false. Can you explain what me. you mean? What, 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 what do you mean? What is that? I mean, what do I mean? Um, we so haven't found I went- the Loch Ness Monster, so how is that proof of anything? I, I went... It's, it's not, spoiler alert, but like, <laughs> so I went to a very, very fundamentalist school for several years. And the way this school worked was that um, effectively you took some tests and then they placed you at certain levels and subjects, right? But there was no teacher. There was a learning sort of station um, and you sat at your desk, there was dividers to either side of you. Um, and you had a series of workbooks. So you had a workbook for every subject, depending on where you tested into. So I could potentially have a math workbook at say, like, I don't know, grade six. And then I could have a social studies workbook at grade 10, just depending on where I tested but you're always working independently. So Mm -hmm. you sit at your desk with your dividers and you have to finish a certain number of sort of pages, I don't know, sections um, within the week. Now, the thing is, this curriculum that was given to us is called um, ACE, Accelerated Christian Education. And it was developed by Baptists in the 70s in Texas. So just like for those of you that are in America, just let that sink in. There's levels. There's levels. You're like Baptists, 70s, Texas. Texas. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. I'm so like, I'm seeing I'm seeing like um boot cut jeans, mustaches, um, tucked in shirts. Um yeah. To be honest, I couldn't tell you what that looks like in the 70s. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just know the theology was incredibly young earth creationist so the science workbooks were science exactly yes science uh the (laughs) science workbooks effectively just taught young earth creationism full stop but their rebuttal to this idea of evolution even though they didn't really give any sort of context maybe or just sort of like understanding of like what evolution is their rebuttal was that evolution cannot possibly be true because the Loch Ness monster exists and that's a dinosaur and that's it I'm like that's (laughs) it like there's no there's no extra thing I can offer you but it doesn't work that still doesn't work wait wait but evolution has dinosaurs, but is it saying that because? It's saying that like dinosaurs wouldn't exist still if evolution was a thing. Right. So like, yeah. If So if, if Loch Ness, maybe we can crack this. If Loch Ness was a dinosaur, is it saying that therefore the dinosaur fossils aren't accurate? It's actually other big creatures or something. Like, well, to be honest, I'm, I'm trying to find go that far. Yeah, effectively, the <laughs> argument was Loch Ness monster is just like okay. So young Earth creationism says that like the Earth was created six thousand years ago, right? That's yeah. the idea. I, I don't remember all of the details, if I'm being honest. Um, 
I assume, if I'm remembering somewhat correctly, that like, yes, dinosaurs were created at creation. Young Earth creationism is true. So therefore, the Earth was created 6,000 years ago. Therefore, dinosaurs must have died out somewhere around five, four, right? Like thousand Mm. years ago. There's not a lot of other options there because we have many documents (laughs) from (laughs) those years. Mm. So in their mind, if I believe the Loch Ness monster was basically a sort of rare sort of uh, very ancient dinosaur that had managed to survive in Scotland, I guess. Oh, okay. So they're saying that it couldn't have been 65 million years ago because it survived. Because, yeah. And Uh, so this thing, and it did not, also it did not evolve. It's always been this way. I don't know if it was 65 million years ago either, but None of it is rational in any way whatsoever. Like, I need to reiterate that. Like, none of it makes any fucking sense. Um, (laughs) But there is, like, actually an article, and I don't remember if it's in, like, New York Times or WAPO or something, but there was an article about, like, these people think that the Loch Ness Monster is proof that evolution is not true. And I was like, it's me. Um, (laughs) It was... At the time, because everyone's telling you, you're just like, nah, okay. Yeah. Um, but looking back, I'm like, that shit is crazy. Mm. Like, <laughs> when you're growing up, too, insane. you're not this, like, you're just trying to get through school. You're not this ultimate skeptic, like, running around trying to find the truth. You're just trying to finish your grade school so you can go back to go- using MSN to message, like, whoever oh you're God, interested in. So true. I'm just trying to get on <laughs> Hotmail right now. You know what I mean? MSN yeah. Messenger. What up? Yeah. Like, I was literally trying to just, like, finish school so I could go play some MS-DOS computer game. Like, that was, that's all I was <laughs> Age, doing. Age of Empires, baby, or Sims. Oh, yeah. my God. The other crazy church story that we have from you is we're going to call it Jay's Cancer oh, Story. Oh, shit. Yes. God. Can you tell this story or is it? No, I, is I, it I'll tell it. Um, so when I was growing up, again, the church is very charismatic. They believed in all sorts of like signs and miracles and wonders. And, and there was a woman in my church who had, I, if I'm remembering correctly, three sons. Uh, she was single when she joined the church and she at a certain point ended up with this single man from the church. That's not that important except for that. This man had a couple of kids. I think it was two sons. So, Anyway, they get married. It's great. She um, is ultimately diagnosed with cancer and incredibly sad, like no doubt whatsoever. Um, And so because my church was so charismatic, they would regularly sort of announce and pray for her and do it in this sort of like in tongues and with prophecy and you know, speaking truth over her life and, and sort of, I I don't know if you're familiar with this idea of like sort of the speaking truth as in like speaking what the Lord is going to do. Um, And in some situations it's not harmful, right? You can say like, I'm going to speak into your life. The Lord is going to do X, which is just like, I don't know, you being a really powerful person in the future, right? Like Mm. that can mean any number of things. If it doesn't happen, nobody really cares. But 
they would speak healing into her life um, and tell everybody that they just needed to have faith and like, you know, she was going to be healed. It was going to be a miracle, yada, yada, yada. Incredibly irresponsible. She unfortunately passed away. And so naturally the funeral was going to be at the church um, and it was going to be upcoming. And in the week before the funeral, the pastor who also was my uncle, so fun fact, um, sort of announced that we were going to believe the Lord for her healing and resurrection from the dead. Um, And like, I know that it sounds crazy when I say that because it is, but when you are born and bred in this very charismatic environment, um, you're taught that if God wants to, he'll raise people from the dead. And Mm. it's not this like crazy concept. It's something that's regularly taught to you. And so you think that if you have enough faith, if God wants to do it, if you believe hard enough, then like that gift will come. And so the day of the funeral came and we're all there, like all five of the kids. Clearly I'm not one of them, but we're all there. The five kids are there. The stepdad is there. And the pastor decides that like, we're all going to pray over her dead body to. I didn't know this part of the story. Yeah. Like bring her back from the dead. Like, to be fair, I can't remember if the casket was open or closed. I do think it was closed. Um, but effectively, like, we need to have faith. We need to pray that she's going to come back from the dead because that's something God wants to do. Like, we just have to also want it enough. Like, it was a very weird sort of, I don't even know if reciprocal is the right word, but just like a very weird, um, if we have enough faith, if we believe hard enough, if we trust Mm. enough, then God will do this. Okay. Obviously she's still dead. Like it's very sad, but like, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that like, she's still dead, but it did a lot of damage to these kids that were Christians at the time telling them that like, if we have enough faith, if we believe hard enough, if we pray, I don't know, hard enough or whatever, that like God wants to do this. So he will do it. And like that very much lends to this idea that like y'all just didn't have enough faith. You didn't pray hard enough. You didn't believe hard enough. Like you failed at something and that's why your mom is still dead. Like, Oh God. And and like, obviously he didn't say that directly, but that's the implication, right? Like how, what other implication could you have from that? No, it's, it's so traumatic. It must be so traumatic for them. God awful. Yeah. I, I remember when I was first becoming a Christian, I had a friend whose mother was dying of cancer and he asked me, can the church pray? Can the youth pray? And I said, yeah. And he was a Christian. I was right. like, yeah. Um, and I, we prayed and stuff. And anyway, I didn't hear from him for a few weeks or whatever. And um, I called him. Uh, I was on holidays, school holidays. And I said, oh, hey, man, how you doing? And he said, oh, I'm good. I'm just hanging out with my family. My, my mom's passed. And I was like, oh, and I was like, Mm, I was thinking in my thinking in my head. I was like, no, that, that can't, can't be, be right because we prayed. So, like, how did how this doesn't what make else sense. is needed? 
Yeah. And then he and and I was almost like, I was almost like, no, like yeah, I was almost like this can't be right. Like, what what do you mean she's like we we prayed and the Bible clearly says that if you pray it will be given. And I was actually perplexed that she died of cancer, and I almost asked, should should we pray over her body? And I'm so glad I didn't. But uh, yeah, because it would been horrible. But yeah, it's just. But also, it would have been a totally fair, like. Of course, it would have been painful, but it would have also been a totally fair question for you to ask based on what you knew and what you were taught, right? Mm. So, like, it, it's it's just so dangerous to teach mm. people this stuff because then you have these, like, really weird expectations. And um, when they don't work, not only are you mourning the loss of somebody, whoever it is, you're then also feeling like you failed. Mm. And unless you actually murder someone, like you aren't responsible for the death of another human being. And so that mm. will compound the trauma moving on because you think like this person died and I could have done something, even though mm. you, you could not have. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, good old church. It's, um, there, there are a lot of people like to take, to play devil's advocate for the Christian. A lot of people would say that Christians are just trying to work out reality just like everyone else and they're trying to but it's just like that may be true but it's like in the process it feels much more damaging harm. yeah you, it seems quite harmful and not everyone has all the answers but man like i don't know it's it's just a sad circumstance right. i mean um, none of us have all of the answers nobody does but i feel mm. like it's a lot safer to say hey i don't know what happens I don't know why it happens, but like, I'm going to walk with you through this regardless of what happens. Um, Because I feel like that's the most realistic thing that we can say, because Mm -hmm. whether or not this person passes away or stays alive um, while I'm still here, like I'll sort of hold your hand through this, you know, proverbially. And I feel like in this life, that might be the best thing that we can do is just show up for people in their pain and suffering without having to offer them any kind of outcome. Mm. It's a very good point. Maybe the last thing we can go on to um, is we can talk, and I'd like to do a bit of a a, um, deep dive or at least a below-the-surface dive of purity culture in church. Oof. Um, Oof. Because uh, we spoke a little bit about this over just organizing this interview, but – Purity culture, and I mentioned this to in, in the last interview with Dr. Josh, it, it fucked me up really bad and it, it caused some seriously negative side effects in my life and in my marriage uh, and things like that. And uh, I'd just love to hear your perspective on, on purity culture. God. Has it affected you? Um, yes. I very much grew up in the age of like Josh Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye and like, you know, courtship is the way to go and like yada, yada, yada. I also grew up in a church where um, I was incredibly emotionally stunted and all of the sort of um, similar aged men around me were also emotionally stunted. Um, and so effectively for me, it was like, well, just be pure until you meet someone. And I was like, well, where am I going to meet anyone? Cause it's clearly not here. Um, and so like, I think at one point my parents got me a purity ring and I was like, cool. And then I, promptly lost it because I am severely ADHD and nobody ever noticed until, I don't know, a year ago. 
Um, <laughs> but this idea of women only sort of existing to complement and find a partner is incredibly damaging. So, mm. and it's not just for women, right? It's also damaging for men because you're taught that like, um, there's only one woman for you and she's going to be the highest quality. And like, also, if you do anything to jeopardize her purity, then clearly she's not of the highest quality. And so then you leave and then it leaves her in this very vulnerable, like state where she feels like she's no longer worth anything. Like it's a very complicated situation, but for me, um, the way I was brought up, purity culture was very much, you should not have sex until marriage. Like, if you can avoid it, you shouldn't even kiss until marriage. Um, And sex is this, like, incredibly sacred thing that has tons of emotional meaning all of the time. It doesn't. Um, Mm. And Spoiler alert, it doesn't, yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, And then also, like, if you feel – or I guess not that. You learn that your body is inherently – damaging to men if you're not careful about it like Mm. you learn that you will cause them to stumble you learn that they will be distracted you learn that they will have sinful thoughts if you are not hyper aware of your body Mm. and like how to cover it up at all times yeah now because of that you internalize this idea that your body is bad like yeah it may not be that logical but it is what you internalize if my body can have all these adverse side effects, then inherently something is wrong. And as you move you through see, life, go ahead. You see, that's that's so interesting because I'm glad we got, got to talk about this because that's the opposite side effect of what I've had experiences as a male is with 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 us it was like you have this thing that you can't control that eventually if you yes. don't keep under wraps you'll be like hunting down and like raping damage. and like you yeah you'll just be like you won't be able to control yourself and yeah. it was yeah and it's it's really interesting to hear the the perspective of of someone uh, of the opposite sex because yeah keep going i just wanted to mention that because it's i just never no, I- really considered that it would make you feel that your body was dirty like that's that's a horrible thing to that i i feel like that's the number one thing that happened and i i think that's incredibly interesting that you say that that like you felt or you were taught that you were sort of like this um inherent predator whether or not you Mm. want it to be right Mm. um Whereas we were taught from a very young age, like you have to cover up because you might distract someone. You might cause someone to stumble. And I'm like, I'm literally 12. Like, am I causing this fucking adult man to stumble? (laughs) And like, looking back, I'm like, y'all are so creepy. But at the time I was taught that. So I was like, oh, oh, Mm. something is wrong with my body. And when you're developing through puberty at that time, that's an additional problem because you're already kind of uncomfortable with like what the fuck's happening with your body. Um, And then you're taught that like the only person that's ever meant to see that or experience it or touch it or whatever is your husband. But then in reality, like how do you meet your husband 
right? It's like y'all should be attracted to each other, right? But then you're like, well, if if I'm overtly attractive, then I'm sinful. So yeah. it becomes this like very weird thing where you view your body as inherently bad because its natural shape and form attracts men mm. and therefore is sinful because you're causing men to be attracted to you, which is like a super fucked thing, right? Like, <laughs> and then like, like the, the, they also like would have men's groups where it was like, it was like, how long can we go without masturbating? Like how long can we go? That's wild to me. Yeah, like how long? Do you can, have a like, calendar? And we, yeah, like, no, we, we honestly did, and we had accountability partners that we would message, like pray, <laughs> and that meant that I'm horny. I just really I want to jack to, off right now. Yeah, like. yeah, essentially, yeah, essentially, I'm horny. Go pray, and then like you get to the end of the you know week or whatever, and it'd be like, pray, 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 pray. Like everyone's like they, they're struggling, whatever. And then there's no wonder too that like a woman with uh, a um or someone you're attracted to with like showing like one centimeter of cleavage you're like oh you're about to explode yeah, exactly, because you've been, exactly. you've been building up for like yeah like two, well, week, two weeks that's just like just, the... just masturbate have a good time just have a good it. time it's don't fine. let it control your life but get just in the shower fucking, yeah do it yeah, exactly and like move exactly. on with your day it's fine We're exactly all good here. exactly yeah, like, oh. i think the problem is that you're taught because of original sin that your body is naturally bad and so these inclinations mm. that you might have right uh, sexually mm. especially are inherently bad that's and then you you totally skip over all of the like enlightenment puritanism like buggery act like you skip over all of this like demonization of sexual or of sexuality yeah. and and then and saint augustine good lord don't get me started on him um I don't know much about him, but oh, good God! Is like, he the one that wrote um, the City of God? You know what? I a don't know, book. probably, but I do know that his like sexual like ethos was very much based on the fact that his father saw him get an erection at a bathhouse, and he was embarrassed. It's like a disaster, and then he yeah, it, yes. the City of God. He wrote the City of God, yeah. Yes, and then he went on to like write this entire like treatise on sexuality, which was like y'all nasty. That's what I'm like paraphrasing to, and yeah. so we have this idea that our bodies are inherently bad. Therefore, any like sort of desires that we have are going to be inherently bad, and this weird crossover between like puritanical sex. And the only sex being appropriate is for uh, procreation. Like there's just so much going on there. And then, so there's all of this sexual shame that appears. And so then it's like, we just set people up to lose. Like you shouldn't masturbate. You shouldn't have any sexual desires. Like what the fuck do I look like? Paul? Like, Mm. and then you see a woman who has like half an inch of ankle exposed and your body does what it's supposed to do it has the Mm. chemicals it has the whatever and you're attracted to women or men or whoever right but like you have that attraction um and so of course if you've been trying to push that down and push that down and push that down to me it feels very much like if you try to push sadness down over and over and over and over again eventually it's going to show up as just like anger or something, mm. right? And so then if you try and like push down this very natural feeling, emotion, whatever, over and over and over again, eventually it's going to come out for like no reason. Just something that mm. doesn't even like fully make sense. Just like, I don't know. I saw her like kneecap. It's just like sent yeah. me over the edge. 
but but that's because you haven't been honoring the needs of your body because you were taught they're bad yeah i i wonder too if um i love what you said there the honoring the needs of your body but I wonder if, and maybe I'm, 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 I'm wondering, like hopefully you can give me some insight, but it seems as though men were treated as like the ones that were you know, needed to hold back their sexual urges and yes. women need to to help them hold back their sexual urges by um, yes. covering up. But where's the, like, was, the, was there ever talk about like men needed to cover up because women are attracted to men or oh, lasting after men? You see, that's to me that to me that seems like I think biologically, I could be wrong, probably am wrong, but biologically, <laughs> I think men men are probably more sexually inclined in in generalities. If you're speaking in generalities, but maybe that's cultural. Maybe that's not a, a thing, and maybe it's just because we've been taught that way. Because from what I understand now, given the right circumstances. Um, women can be just as perverted and just as sexually like, sure. you know, like why can't women find, find like men attractive and lust after them? Why is it the, it's, it's so, it's, it's, it seems yeah. to be like a weird form, to, excuse the pun, but a perverse form of demonizing, like making like women don't have a sexual, you know, like it's like it's doctrine very from much women, women who have never had organ paradox. Okay, what's that? It, so, the Madonna and the whore paradox is the idea that like a lot of men have had historically, or may still hold not not everybody, but some, where they want the, their women to be this like sexually pure being, mm-hmm. but also somehow this incredibly like like sexually like yeah. exactly like they want them yeah, to be yeah. this like free right sense. so yeah. it's this very interesting sort of um i don't know uh tension between men or not not between men sorry there's this very interesting sort of tension because men both want women to be this like very pure thing on a pedestal and also mm-hmm. want them to be like incredibly freaky and like <laughs> yeah, dirty, but they judge them for being both. Like, yeah, that's actually I can see. I mean, not to out myself where, but I can see that that those own biases reflect in my own life. And I wonder, like, where is that just inherent, or is that something that I've developed over in the culture or tradition or something? But oh, I, yeah. I would argue it's probably largely cultural, and it's not just like mm-hmm. cultural in regards to like america or australia Mm. it's it's very much this idea that god i'm not fully equipped for this but like just to be just to be clear before i sound like a bigot or something or like a sexist or something it's a i understand that it's probably a bias but it's not something that i like go therefore a-okay like i always try and push back against my bias of course of course yeah but that's just like anything right we like I would tell every white person that they're racist and people would have a big problem with this. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, yeah. me too. Right. Like we are conditioned to be this way. That doesn't mm. mean that we're actively out there, like trying to harm people. It just means that we've been taught by our society and our culture that like certain things are true and we have to learn to push back against them. So like, I get what mm. you're saying. Um, but, but there certainly is this idea that like, however you want to categorize it or define it, we want women to be pure and this idea of like 
untouched and clean and holy and whatever. And that manifests in a number of different ways. It's not going to be the same for everyone. But at the same time, we find women attractive that are earthy and in their bodies and that are fully connected to their sensuality and like all of these other things. But we will also judge both of those women right mm. by saying like well, they're approved and boring and then by saying this woman is a whore like that type mm. of thing we want both of those things we judge both of those things and we're somehow looking for both of those things right and like mm. that's the thing that we're kind of pushing back against because in reality neither of those exist like nobody is this like virgin madonna right it's impossible Mm. and to be honest nobody wants that nobody actually wants that we're just taught that women should be one or the other and if at any point they overlap we judge them for it Mm. and so that's the pushback right like where it's because we only see women as valuable in a very binary way can this woman can this woman base her value on whether or not I've touched her and whether or not she can bride, provide me a child? And I know this is very basic, but this is the like sort of mm-hmm. very fundamental driving logic behind it. And then can like, and is this woman like, does she please me? Does she do mm-hmm. what I need her to do? Does she meet these needs? Um does she meet these sort of like very deep desires? But at the same time, we're so sexually shamed. If a woman does that, we view her as bad. Mm. And we yeah. struggle to meet those two things in the middle, but I'm going to stop. talking. Yeah. I, I actually noticed, I, no, I noticed that with um, the, um, I'm trying to work out how to say this. Um, I've noticed that, that pornography has become a lot more mainstream, like with OnlyFans and things like that. No longer is it like, you know, you're doing, um, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're taking drugs and living the high life and going down to, to, um, you know, shoot porn in, in wherever they shoot at LA or whatever. Um, but just like um, in your room being like, yeah, yeah. And, I and I also wonder, like you know, I think with that has come like a lot of changes to how we see the traditional relationships. A lot of people um, find porn an interesting and acceptable part of their um, relationship, where they might watch sure. it together by themselves. Um, but I also wonder, you know, like you know, relation you know, people open up their relationships. But then there's also like I wonder if like in 500 years, <laughs> if like I always wonder if like this is the dawn if, if historians will look back at this and see like the access to really grotesque internet porn and like what we have today yeah as but like the the as the dawn of like the new a new type of sexual revolution where people don't necessarily see gender or and they have like companions and they they're like I'm attracted to X person do you want to fool around yes like I wonder if it's I wonder what if it, because no other point in time have I seen people have access to such an amazing amount 
of information and the, yeah. the ease of the ability to explore their sexuality. So I wonder how that's going to play out over the next 500,000 years or whatever, if humanity yeah. even makes it that long. I um, mean, I doubt that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I do think for whatever reason you want to sort of qualify it as, I think that we are at this really interesting point in which we are realizing that monogamy is not the only way. And in mm. fact, it's not the only right way. I think for a long time, most of us is, have held this ideal that like, okay, we go to school, going to go to college, I'll find someone, we'll get married, we'll have kids, that's the life. Yeah. And that's the only right way to do things. When in reality, there's a variety of right way to do things. Um, and we're sort of just figuring it out right now. Because I think mm. in the past, it really mattered for women to be married to a man because they had to survive economically. But now women are surviving okay on their own. And so they can then decide who they spend their time with. And I, I also think that you see this like, okay, we've been together 20 years and we're fucking bored of each other, but we still love each other. We just want other experiences. And for a long time, that wouldn't have mattered. You just stick it out. But because of the way sort of like society uh, and ideology is freeing up a little bit, you're seeing people that are saying like, I love you. I still want to share my life with you. But like there are other experiences to be had. And, you know, we want to do those things. And I, if I'm being honest, I do think ethical non-monogamy is the way of the future, but I don't know what the arc of that looks like. And it's certainly not for everyone, right? Like, I'm not going to tell everyone that that's definitely their life path. But I think from my own experiences and people I know and just the sort of the seeming arc of the last 10 years, it does very much seem like folks are looking for um, more people to love. I don't mm. know. No. I wonder too. I always wonder too because I've, I've I've experienced the same thing where I, it seems like uh, a lot of friends and family and stuff, and um, uh, you know, having less traditional monogamous like right. non-monogamous relationships. But I always wonder if that's just a sign of my age. Like, I want to talk to my dad and be like, "Hey, when you got to like thirty, did you just yeah. start noticing everyone was like, you know, sex wasn't that big of a deal and people were kind of screwing each other and it was okay." Or is that yeah. a time, an age of the time? Like, it'd be interesting to see some studies on this. Maybe I'd Absolutely. love to do. I'd love to do like a half a year, to, like half a year course on like sexuality and human relations because. Yeah. And I mean, I do think but- that there's like a much freer sort of. Um, it's much freer now to decide, right? So, like, mm. fifty years ago, it wouldn't have even been like socially acceptable in any way whatsoever to explore that. And I'm sure people still did, but it would have been so much cognitive dissonance, so much harder to kind of accept that or even think about it. And the population size would be so much smaller. Whereas now it's like, you could go on a dating app, you could freaking walk outside. And like, at least where I live, every other person is like non-monogamous, right? So it's like a very like different thing because there's so much more, options do you do you know how this is just a random drunken thought but do you know how the the population has like the the birth rates decreasing 
and it's decreasing mm-hmm. in like this is a Jordan Peterson talking point, um, but it's decreasing Jordan in Peterson. <laughs> yeah, with the with you know the birth rates going down, I wonder if the birth rates were just up a lot because people didn't have access to relieving their sexual desires with things like masturbation and pornography so easily it wasn't accepted, and now the husband uh, can just like fulfill his needs. In the shower in the morning, the the wife can you know roll over and use her vibrator. Like I wonder if that's part of the reason why we're seeing this slump in in, in that is because the man doesn't come home drunk um, at three a.m. and goes, "Wife, you're my property. Let's have sex right now." And then they have a kid. I wonder if that's also a reason why we're seeing this slump in in um, in uh, in birth rates. I, I'm and also access to birth control. I wonder if uh, I'm just. No, I think there's probably a lot of reasons. Like, mm. absolutely. I think there's probably a lot of reasons. Um, and I do think that's probably one of them where. Uh, so <laughs> you study statistics and I think there's a lot of overlap. Um, and you would certainly have to control for a lot of bias if you're studying these things because. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. At certain times, it's more socially acceptable for women to just do whatever the husband wants, for lack of a better term. And like, yes, Mm. I believe that sexual assault, but like at different times, it would just be not okay. It wouldn't feel good, but socially, it would be more acceptable for these things to happen, right? Like it's, it's still sexual assault, but like whereas like now if someone came home and was like i want to have sex with you and i was like i don't like uh, there's going to be a much i'm not going to feel as much social pressure to then sub- succumb to that right yeah um it's and know, it's great that weird take. <laughs> no no i i i think that's good and i i actually love that um people can have relationships now where someone comes home and says Hey, I'm um, I'm horny. Can we bang? And the person goes, No, I don't want to. And they go, Okay, I'm gonna go jack off in the spare room. And you're like, All right, like, like all the, have fun. All the other, all the other way around. Yeah, yeah it's like, have let fun. me know how I, it goes I, or don't. I whatever. Love that. Like, I, I yeah. love that some relationships can be like that, and and I think that's yeah. that's great and healthy. Well, and I think um, that's like also part of purity culture, where like I was taught, you know, porn is bad, masturbation is bad. Therefore, if somebody else is doing this, it's bad. And so, like, it felt very much like if my boyfriend was masturbating, it was like a slight on my worth somehow. Mm. Like, it was a very mm. weird thing where I felt insulted by it. And, like, now mm. if somebody did it, I'd be like, like uh, fun, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm going to, like, do this other thing. Like, best yeah. of luck. Hope you have fun. But- um I hope it's also like I hope it's also understood that it's the other way around. Like sometimes, like in relationships, the woman just wants wants to have some alone time, and then the, the sure, man's yeah. not interested in stuff. Yeah, and then it's it, sh- it should be perfectly normal. Yeah, and it should be yeah, fine. Like, it's fine. That's the thing. It's mm. fine. But I think it's like so demonized in Christian circles. But like, I think we're also taught to very much believe that men are ready and willing all of the time. Um, mm. And it's not necessarily. I'm not. Sometimes case. I'm having a panic attack, and I don't want to have sexy time. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm having a panic funny. attack. <laughs> this <laughs> no, is not is. sexy. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
stressed. Well, that's that's something I I mentioned in in, in previous podcasts is is like I used to have intense anxiety around like before having sex and after having sex because I just felt this tremendous amount of like, I don't know what it was, but I felt anxious around having sex after we got married. We waited till we were married to have sex. That's normal considering the environment you grew up in. Yeah, we did. Sex is stressful. Yeah, we did things by the book. And then when it was time to actually have sex, it was like, I was like, am I lusting too much? Am I lusting too much in this? Yeah, in this, in this, like, making love. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mind fuck, you know, sorry, pun intended, Mm. but, Mm. um, (laughs) yeah, it certainly can go both ways. I think there's the expectation that men are, uh, frequently more ready or whatever you want to call it, but it certainly isn't reality. There are situations Mm. in which that is very different. Um, and we're and, talking about trends as well. Like there's, there's exactly, yeah, there's exactly. trends, not personal, like not yeah. unique people. Yeah. And to be honest, like, you know what? Never mind. Let's not be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> keep yeah, that to enough. ourselves. All right. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. So a last question, and this is, um, take some time to answer this if you want. Um, if you you mentioned that you didn't you never had the experience of God, right? Let's say a relative or a friend invites you to a church and you have this overwhelming experience now at 32. Knowing what you know about the Bible and everything, but still having this really powerful experience, it let's say it, it reduces you to tears, you feel shaking, you feel cleansed. Would that shift your perspective on your belief about God? So probably not. It okay. might it might shift my belief on um a sort of cognitive spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. Like I might believe that there is some level of consciousness that I haven't have attained in this moment due to specific levels of maybe like emotional, musical, psychological, I don't maybe manipulation is not the right word, but just some kind of external force that has caused my cognition to maybe change or evolve. It certainly would not make me believe in the Christian God, right? Okay. That, that is a very specific belief that I don't think, like, even if I had this very emotional experience, it doesn't, point to Yahweh or Jesus, Mm. right? It points to some kind of experience of my emotions, brain, cognition, whatever. But it's not saying like, well, this definitely means Yahweh. Like that's Mm. the difference. And so I don't think that it would change my idea of agnosticism where I'm saying, I don't know if there's anything, I don't believe in it, but I don't know. Um, So much as it might sort of give me um, a curiosity into different levels of consciousness, but not to a higher power. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Would uh, I? I often I, I've often heard that um, you know Christians have asked uh, like a street preacher once asked me 
um, what would convince you? What what would you need to be convinced of the existence of God? And you know the, the classic. I'm going to make a video about this, but the classic Matt Dillahunter quote: "I have no idea, but God would know." Um, right. I'm going to make a video because I think there's a better answer. I think the answer is to be convinced of the existence of the Christian God would be the same thing you would need. To, you would need to be convinced of a married bachelor. That is that it doesn't logically work. Like you need, you need to like if you could somehow if you could somehow remove those parts, then maybe. But then you're not really talking about what you're talking about now. Um, yeah. But so I so no, with that said, I'm wondering if you had that same experience in say a very separate religion that you knew nothing about. So would like say if you went to India and you learned and it was some sort of Eastern religion, um, some sort of sect of Hinduism or, or Buddhism or something, maybe didn't even have a God in it, would you would you be more inclined to to investigate that as some sort of a spiritual um thing? And that's just a bonus question. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think overall I am not convinced that any emotional um so I very much connect the emotional and the spiritual. I'm not sure how you delineate between those two things. Yeah, same. I think that most people that have a spiritual experience are probably just having an emotional experience. And so then how do you define that? Mm. Um, for me, I need a, at best, a logical counterpart. So if I have an emotional experience, okay, that's great. Um I need something that I can anchor myself to in a mm. very physical way. Um, so I've gone places and had an emotional reaction to them, right? Like I've been uh, in the Sagrada Familia in Spain and I have felt an emotion because it's beautiful and like the mm. stained glass changes in the sunlight and like you stand in this very historical place and it can bring up emotions in you, but mm. it's certainly not, I did not attribute it to a God in any sense. Yeah. Like now you could say that was emotional. You can say it's spiritual. You can say whatever you want, but it certainly was not me thinking that I had some connection with a higher power. Mm. And so that's sort of how I always explore things, right? Like I might go somewhere and have an experience in a temple or um, in the holy place of some kind of Eastern religion but a lot of that I chalk up to just being a human mm. in a very unique and special situation. Some people believe in energy. Some people don't. I'm not here to argue either side. But I do think there's something to be said for standing in a place where people have stood for thousands of years that has mm. been very important and holy or special to them. Um, that it's meant something to them. And experiencing that for what it is, I will not say it's God, I won't say it's energy, but there's certainly an experience to be had, especially for mm. some people, maybe not for others. Um, but it's not a, for me anyway, It's it doesn't point to a higher power. It simply points to um, the condition of being, like... Mm. It, it points to the fact that we exist as humans and we have for a really long time. And there is a thread maybe throughout history that like, it's not divine. It's not cosmic. It's simply just us experiencing this like wild fucking life. Like, <laughs> mm. sorry, that's yeah. probably really jumbled. 
but no, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I I remember I have a very specific, um, um, very similar outlook in that we're like the same person. It appears. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have to like be friends after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I had this similar experience where I was reading the Bhagavad, I was listening to the Bhagavad Gita poolside. Mm-hmm drunk in Bali uh, and because the Hinduism was big then I want to learn about it and chapter nine just hit me like a ton of bricks it felt like this weird really warm feeling I just don't attribute truth to that feeling I I look at the stars and I get a feeling like that I look right. at um I look at like I'll read like a really ancient text of any form and I'm like wow this was written 2000 years ago this is amazing and or like, people um, really felt it 2000 years ago and I'm yeah. feeling it in some way today but that doesn't yeah. mean god right yeah. it just means that like i don't attach a truth to that and you can see right. this too like the like you know i mentioned before i i used to develop video games and part of video games is you're like there's the little coin and there's the big coin the big coin is big and you're you're trying like people have this inherent um whether it's like for whatever reason they have this inherent desire to want the most important the most the big thing you know and so that's that that's what like games where you collect things is that's the whole point. yeah 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 um and it wouldn't work if our psychology wasn't like that but anyway thank you so much uh heathen queen for coming Yay. on the deep drinks podcast yes, and yes, yes. once again i'm drunk on a saturday i keep keep doing these on a saturday uh yeah, and so i'm gonna go continue having a great saturday but thank you so much for coming on Thank you for having me. Namaste. Yes. Namaste. Or something else. See you soon. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, bless. <laughs>